You're listening to The Readback, Barron's new weekly podcast, bringing you inside the pages of our magazine. I'm Alex Ewell. Among the pain for retailers in the age of Amazon, perhaps no industry has had it worse than the toy sellers. A year ago, Toys R Us, the industry's behemoth, declared bankruptcy. So, what's left for the toy business? Today, I talk with Barron's associate editor, Jack Howe, who has a new feature story on toys and Hasbro, the country's largest toy maker that's quickly learning how to remake itself in the evolving retail world. Hi, Jack. Hey, Alex. So take us back to September 19th last year. The bankruptcy of Toys R Us. Toys R Us has filed for bankruptcy protection. It's among the largest ever by a U.S. specialist retailer. The end of an era, one of the most recognizable names in American retail is closing its doors today. A disappointing end to what was once the world's biggest toy store. I don't know how you use Toys R Us, but I use Toys R Us the same way I used, like, a museum. I like to bring the kids in, and then they would just go wild sitting in every big electric car in there, and then we would buy zero of them and leave. I mean, we spent money in the store, but we spent more time playing in the store than buying. And then I would always, as I was looking around the store, I would always take a peek at what was going on on Amazon in terms of the prices. I think a lot of people were doing the same sort of thing, showrooming, as they call it. Right. You walk in with the app and you look, wow, this is 20% less. Exactly. And so Amazon was huge. E-commerce was huge. And the concern for the toy makers was that, is this just an issue with Toys R Us? Or is part of this that kids don't play with regular toys anymore? You know, know, are, are kids not playing with dolls and balls and things like that? Are they just spending all day with their iPads and their video games? You can't fight the iPad. It's difficult. It's difficult. Lord knows we try. And so the concern was, well, if Toys R Us can't make it, then what about these companies that whose goods sell in Toys R Us? What about Hasbro? What about Mattel? So you had a story this weekend. There's no more Toys R Us to write about. How did you sort of bring this anniversary back to Barron's readers? Well, I wanted to take a look at what's happening with the toy makers a year after the bankruptcy of Toys R Us, but it's very clear this industry has become kind of lopsided. This year so far, Hasbro stock has returned about twice as much as the S&P 500. So there are definitely signs of life there. There's market share out there. Toys R Us had serious market share, even though it wasn't doing well financially. And that market share is up for grabs. And it's up for grabs uh, among financially healthy companies. And actually, the businesses are pretty aggressive in terms of going after that share. So for those of us who don't know everything about Hasbro, like you. Tell us a little bit more about the company. The Hasenfeld brothers, Herman, Hillel, and Henry, these are the Hasbros. Wow. Right. These are brothers that started a company back in the 1920s. It sold textile remnants and school supplies. School supplies? Yeah, pencils. Pencils were a big, uh, pencils were their big seller uh, (laughs) at one point. But in the 1940s, they moved into into toys. and their first big hit was in the 50s, Mr. Potato Head. What's new, Hasbro? Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head with their own cars and trailers. That's what's new. Still, some would say, as relevant as ever. That's amazing. Big uh, feature in the Toy Story movies. Yeah, Mr. that's Potato. right. Yo, Joe! 
In the 60s, it was G.I. Joe. That was another uh, big seller for them. Nerf, My Little Pony, Monopoly, those are some other brands. And Hasbro has always done a good job of tying in toys with media, TV shows, cartoons. Today, they focus on a handful of core brands. One of those is Transformers. I got a basement full of them at my parents' home. Well, you, so you remember these five blockbuster Transformer movies? I did. Movies, I right? saw a few of them. This is a venture between Hasbro and Paramount, and they did an incredible amount of revenue. And got increasingly worse. Well, <laughs> the performance uh, tailed off a little bit, but they also got increasingly more violent. These are movies made by Paramount, and Paramount had the creative control for them. They wanted to do whatever they could do to juice the box office, and they, they put a lot of money into the production budgets, and they made uh, you know big uh, shoot 'em up movies. This is one example. There's a new deal between Hasbro and Paramount where creative control is reverting back to Hasbro, and Hasbro says, all right, what do we want to do with this franchise? Well, we want to reboot it, and we want to make it more for kids, and we want to sell more toys, frankly. Imagine that, a kid's toy movie for kids. Yeah. So the, there's a character called Bumblebee. Bumblebee, there is only one way to end this war. You must protect Earth. Part of the Transformers universe. This one's going to be for the kids, and I think um, it's a lower budget, so it can do a lower box office number and still be quite profitable, but it can also sell tons of toys. Okay. Um, that's one of the things that Hasbro's doing. There are other examples of them with just better tie-ins with shows. It's This is arguably a company that's not just a toy maker. It's a, it's a media company. And it's a gaming company, too, uh, vi- as in video games. And video game makers, and this is another thing you've written quite a bit about for Barron's, video game makers are having, uh, are having a moment. Video game makers are doing very well. Um, as that game has shifted online, the margins have just ballooned, the profit margins, and they're becoming much more profitable very quickly. And their share prices have gone bananas. Video so, game companies. so you take a Hasbro, you put a little bit of that video game special sauce on it, and you're looking at what? We can get a higher valuation for the stock. For Hasbro. For Hasbro. And let me give you an example of a, of a niche game. There's something called Magic the Gathering. What is Magic the Gathering? Well, I think people might re- recognize the name Dungeons and & Dragons. And Magic the Gathering is the same sort of thing, a card-based role-playing game. By the way, both of those are owned by Hasbro. An analyst I spoke with dis- described this. She said, there's a rabid following for this game. The people who play it love it. These are not the most socially forward people, maybe, but she said it's a highly intelligent group of people, and they're way into these games. Jack, you're, Jack, you're being too hard on yourself. <laughs> the people who play it also spend some money on this game. They spend 60 to $70 a year on average. So Hasbro's beta testing an online version of this game. Because it's such a complex game, it lends itself to playing online. And in the early testing there's some anecdotal evidence of players spending more than they do online uh, than with a regular card game. So this is f- the next Fortnite, right? Well, it's, it's not going to do a Fortnite top line. Not nearly, right? Okay. But, not going to make as much money as Fortnite. Right, but it might surprise you with the bottom line. Um, there's an analyst at Jeffries I spoke with. She thinks that conservatively, this game could do about $250 million in revenue, right? That's, that's not nothing. But the key is it, it, it costs you very little to make the thing and to keep it going. 
she thinks that conceivably $222 million of that revenue could fall as EBITDA. Quickly tell our listeners what EBITDA is. It's one of the million ways to measure earnings. It stands for earnings before interest, taxes, amortization, and depreciation. It's just Whereas I like to call it earnings before the bad stuff. <laughs> before the bad stuff, so, yeah. It's a measure of like core profitability. Okay. But, but it, all of which is to say that um, this is a game where it's, it's never going to become as well known as Fortnite, but it might be surprisingly profitable. And that's enough of a revenue increase to move the needle for a company like Hasbro. And it provides a, a sort of snapshot how they can do this with a number of their other properties going forward. Got it. So we're talking a lot about Hasbro. You can't think toys without thinking about Mattel and Barbie. So what is going on with Mattel? Are they still around? Oh, yeah, they're still around. They're not currently profitable. Mattel has not had as much success in these different areas in, in, in being a, in this diversified approach. They've done movies. They've done shows. I, I think there are I think Barbie may have missed a cultural moment. I think there are parents out there who've been reluctant to, you know, if you have your choice, if you want to buy a doll for your daughter, right, and you've got a choice between Barbie and one of the princesses from Frozen or something like that, I think there are just parents out there who are saying, well, you know, Barbie's about fashion and, you know, hair and makeup and stuff like that. Not the values that many of us ascribe to today. Yeah, and I know, by the way, I, Mattel would hate that I'm saying that. I know that they have work to try to change that. Right. It's just that it's a hard thing to change, and it's such an important property for them. They've also hurt themselves with, frankly, some dumb decisions in the past. Years ago, they used to hold the license for the Disney princess dolls, and so they should have made all that money from Frozen, right? Sure. They lost that license because they came out with a line of dolls called Ever After High. Uh, and it's a, it's a lot, it's the... Sounds good. <laughs> it's the children of fairy tale characters and the children are now in school and the characters are like Cinderella and Snow White. and Those are all public domain stories, right? So you can do whatever you want to do with Cinderella. If you're like working on a book as a side project or something, you want to write a follow-up Cinderella story, you can do that. Wow. But don't... Uh, Note to self. Right. But, but you better not be in business with Disney because Disney doesn't take kindly to anyone launching you know, products that compete with their domination in the princess business. So Cinderella, public domain, but as far as Disney's concerned, it remains their kind yeah. of birthright. Yeah, don't mess with the princesses is what Disney is basically saying without saying. And so that license got, and, and the Frozen license got taken from Mattel and given to Hasbro. They have licenses for other Disney properties like Star Wars and Marvel. So they, they've this relationship with Disney has been quite lucrative for Hasbro. So Wall Street has paid attention to the significance of that Disney princess switchover, it sounds like, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, since that happened, Hasbro stock has more than doubled. Mattel is down like 40-something percent. The okay. stock has really gotten hammered. I so mean, that is the Disney effect. Yeah, Disney just you know, laid out the pain for Mattel. But <laughs> Mattel has made other mistakes. I mean, they, they just haven't responded as quickly. They didn't. They don't seem to have this same cohesive approach that Hasbro has yet with media and video games. They've tried it, but they haven't really come through with the same level of successes that Hasbro has. And what, what happens if your Hasbro is all that cash flow that you're making from those toys, you know, it's, it's a typical virtuous cycle, all that cash flow, that allows you to invest more in new projects and it allows you to grow more. So 
We've seen years now of Hasbro taking market share, and it's uh, it's still very much a force. This is still a very profitable business. Anybody who looked at the Toys R Us bankruptcy and said, oh, well, the, the days of playing with regular toys are done, no way. I mean, Hasbro is expected to return to pretty healthy growth starting next year. So maybe it's smarter toys and smarter toy makers is what this story is really about. Yeah, I would say that it's it's about um, you know better than ever before. You're hooking them in with the with the cartoons, with the movies. You're, you're showing them some video games, but you're still very much putting some toys in their hands to play with when they're offline too. All right, Jack. Well, thanks for joining us. You can read Jack Howe's full story on Hasbro in the latest issue of Barron's. I'm Alex Yule. The show is produced by Meta Latoff. Thanks to Elisa Zeisler, Crystal Kim, Chris Mahal, and Catherine Bell, and everyone else who helped to get our podcast off the ground. The Readback will return next Wednesday.